an example of a hallucination is you're, you're driving down the, the street and you, you see pink elephants following you. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. Today's episode is going to be quite different from the usual episodes of Half Hour Intern. Typically, we dig into either a career or a hobby that someone is really passionate about. In the past, we have had a couple of episodes that are more kind of lifestyle-oriented, like what is that particular life like, and that is what this episode is going to be. So we have the honor of having Will Jang with us, who, when he was in college, had a psychotic break and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So um, we will discuss what exactly a psychotic break is, what it is like to live through one and to have one, and what it is like to have schizophrenia. And we'll clear up what exactly schizophrenia is and what it is not at the very top of the episode, and then the impacts that it has had on Will throughout his life um, and different stories surrounding that. And uh, Will is just such an incredible person. So despite having his psychotic break while he was in college, which is kind of the age that uh, around the age that this happens to most people, um, he, after getting treatment and getting dialed in with sort of some of the right medications for him, he went back and graduated from college and he later decided that he wanted to get his master's and he got his master's in library sciences um, so that he could become a librarian because he loved reading, he loved learning, he loved books, and then decided to use that degree to help other people like himself and got a job as the uh, chief of library at at the patient library at Columbia Psychiatry, um, which is just such an awesome thing. And uh, in addition to being amazing in that regard, Will has written 63 books, which is just truly incredible. So um, he has written some books on mental health. He has written some books on uh, basically everything. He's written books on everything you can think of. But in today's episode, we will focus on the books that he's written regarding mental health, specifically um, a book of his called The Schizophrenic Will, um, which is a... Um, autobiography of what it was like to be diagnosed with schizophrenia and everything that happened around that time, which I cannot recommend more. It's a a great book and just really, really interesting to hear um, Will's perspective on everything that happened. And Will has a great memory. So he he was really able to do a great job in writing that book. And I had a great time reading it. Um, And it's just fascinating. So obviously, we'll cover a lot of that in this interview um, about, you know, what it's like to have schizophrenia. But in the book, which is longer, he is able to really dig into it a little bit deeper. Um, And then we also cover a little bit of his book, Guide to Natural Mental Health. So um, he has since gotten really into nutrition, um, diet, exercise, those sorts of things uh, to help out your mental health. And he wrote a book to try to help out others. So we'll talk about different diet tips and stuff like that to help with mental health. So without further ado, here is schizophrenia. Will, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, Blake, thanks a lot for having me. Um, I just wanted to tell you that I was so excited to uh, be on your show uh, that I brought up a old poem that I really enjoyed by William Blake. Uh, kind of a namesake of yours, yeah. Called the tiger, and I just want to read the very first four lines of the poem just to basically set the tone of our little. Oh man, uh, awesome! Thank video. you. Okay, 
Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what mortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? And we're talking about schizophrenia today, right, my friend? Yeah, <laughs> that is very <laughs> apropos. I love it. This is good. So I think that the the best thing for us to do to start out would be to mm-hmm. have you just give kind of an overview of what schizophrenia is. And I think the best way to do that would be first to explain what schizophrenia is not, because I think a lot of people have already some preconceived notions and ideas about what schizophrenia is. Um, like maybe they assume that it's multiple personality disorder or, you know, something like that. So let's first say what schizophrenia is not and then try to encompass exactly what it is. Schizophrenia is not, as you said, multiple personality disorder. Um, a lot of people think that it is. Schizophrenia is not when you fly into violent rages. Most people who suffer from schizophrenia are more apt to be victims of violence than perpetrators of it um, in general. And also schizophrenia is a neurodegenerative disease where people have either positive or negative symptoms, positive symptoms such as hallucinations, which are not based in reality at all, um, delusions, which are partially based in reality. Um, an example of a hallucination is you're, you're driving down the, the street and you, you see pink elephants following you, like in a Dumbo movie. Yeah. Or um, it, a, a delusion might be you're in a hospital and you smell something that reminds you of um, buttery popcorn and like, oh, um, you know, that remind they're, they're going to be coming after me with buttery popcorn. I don't know. Um, buttery popcorn, evil things. I, I don't know. Something like that. You know, it's, it's based in the <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's the bad example, but, um, so positive symptoms, negative symptoms, those are the positive symptoms. The negative symptoms would be so, things such as, um, like a stony face or flat affect it's called or maybe difficulties concentrating a lot of this it's hard to tease apart what is the disorder itself and what is actually the medication causing these problems right right so yeah so yeah and um i also want to say the, the paranoid schizophrenia catatonic schizophrenia which is like they can't move and many other different kinds of things which is why but, there's so many different uh ways that it manifests itself because there are actually different forms of schizophrenia yeah there i think the most recent um genetic analysis of this is there's something like 15 forms or something like that of schizophrenia based on different uh, neurobiological uh roots wow interesting but so yeah. i guess that the broader overall uh definition then would be like a neurodegenerative disorder that is causing you to see hear whatever things that are not actually in reality think things that are not in reality see things that whatever it is yeah so schizophrenia from the latin schizo means break and phrenia means it's like a the phrenias i don't exactly remember why but the thing is schizophrenia is like a break from reality right so uh psychosis right Mm -hmm. so that's basically you're not in reality yeah when you're active in that state yeah now, question, when you have a a psychotic break, we, we'll get more into so many of these things later, but it, I just sure. have to ask to what you just said about like, you know, you see uh, pink elephants following you on the road. Like sure. most people listening to this would be like, well, if I saw pink elephants, I would immediately know 
that that they weren't actually there because it's pink elephants and they're on the road mm-hmm. like that's impossible so logically i would know that i was hallucinating is this the way it is when you have when you're having a kind of like a schizophrenic episode or a psychotic break mm-hmm. where when you see something that is basically impossible do you think to yourself that's impossible I must be going crazy. I need to go check myself into a hospital. Or when you see something that's really out there, you actually think it's there. You actually think it's happening. This question could actually warrants a book. <laughs> um, so when somebody sees a pink elephant following them and they've taken LSD, do they think it's not real? <laughs> that's a so very good point. I'm going to yeah. answer your question with a question. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people, about 50% of people with schizophrenia, never get insight into the fact that what they're seeing and hearing is on any level not real. So, and so that was one question I answered with a question, but I'm going to go back to this. Um, The first time I developed insight was when I was 19 years old. Um, So this is one of the quotes I brought up from your, do you mind if I read the quote? Cause, uh, and then you you can tell us about it. So this, I, I, I have brought together some quotes from your book, um, your autobiography, uh, a schizophrenic will and it from different parts. And one of the quotes was from this exact part. So the first time that you had insight into your condition, you say, I remember thinking the rain is in on the conspiracy. I know it at that moment. Something clicked in my mind. Rain could not be in on the conspiracy. It is rained. What could I possibly be thinking? That was my first bit of solid insight. It was good to get because now I would be able to draw on it. I could learn to think around the disease to an extent. So like you said, like it's rain. How could it be in on a conspiracy? It's rain for God's sake. So what, what changed that one time compared to the other times that you had, you know, been afraid of rain before or whatever it was? Okay. So I was on the medication for all, almost a month at that point. It was called Navain Thiothixine. I'm uh, incidentally still on the same medicine, but I've added two um, antipsychotics on top of it, Risperdal and Abilify. So probably it was starting to take effect and being able, I was able to separate myself a bit from my delusions and hallucinations and disordered thinking. And there are some people that even despite taking medication are never able to achieve this it's about 50 percent of people have like either total or not either total uh lack of insight or partial lack of insight all right so let's take a uh, a step back in the whole process and talk about the first time that you discovered that you had schizophrenia so uh walk us through and this is obviously you go over this in detail in the book but just walk us through briefly uh the first thoughts that you had that at the time you didn't know were schizophrenic schizophrenic paranoid thoughts but that you luckily ended up getting checked into a hospital and later found out were okay so um i was under a lot of stress in school because i had no money basically and i was trying to get financial aid and so they told me after two years of supporting myself as a janitor, which is kind of a demeaning job, that I still would not get any kind of financial help. Something snapped in my mind at that moment. I was under, I was, I was like, oh my God, this can't be. So um, I snapped. I crumpled to the ground in front of the financial aid officer. And from that point on, I had schizophrenia for the rest of my life. Yeah. So in the, in the book, you mentioned kind of thinking, so your your mom was giving you a little bit of money to be able to help with school 
And right. I, I remember you you saying that your thought process, that your first kind of uh, paranoid thought was the government knows. The government's in on this. The government knows that my mom's been giving me a few thousand dollars. They're tracking mm-hmm. all of this. They're watching me. And and that's kind of like the spiral that, that led to everything. Right. So um, I told my friends then, please, you know, let's take a ride. And then finally... I got scared of my own friends who I had known for about two, three years. I'm like, well, maybe they'll kill me. Maybe they're in league with the government agents, you know? So basically I saw conspiracies everywhere. Everybody was in on a conspiracy. Everybody. And this is all still within the first like few hours. Yeah. This is like the first day still. Yeah. Like maybe first few hours. Yeah. Like maybe within six hours. I had a very fast psychotic break. Yeah. Most people usually take, days, uh, weeks, or months to actually spiral down into schizophrenia. I broke within hours. Wow, crazy. Yeah. So, ironically enough, so you're in the car with your friends because you need to just be with your friends and get away. You start then even having paranoid thoughts about your friends. And it's one of those things that I feel like could not be more meant to be. Because you're scared of your friends, you realize that like a close place for them to drop you off is the like that a way for you to get out of the car basically like i need to get away from right. these people who might try to harm me you realize sure. that the closest building really is the the hospital at the university right right well so the hospital at the university was the biggest most locked down most um policed place on the entire um island that i knew of so that's where i wanted to go to try to be safe from whoever might try to harm me it's honestly uh, it lucky. yeah it's just so lucky i i can't even believe that it's uh it, yeah just so meant to be so it, when you checked yourself into the mm-hmm. hospital they pretty quickly realized something was going on mentally with you and they they put you in the mental ward yeah so that's uh they basically um brought me to the emergency room i was acting erratically so they brought me into another place i did not know it was a mental ward uh the psychiatric ward so i just you know started waiting and i calmed down a bit because i was behind a locked door and after a few hours, I'm like, well, you know, this doesn't seem right. Why is no doctor seeing me? So I started catching on. Like, I wasn't in a regular hospital. Why was no doctor seeing you, by the way? I, I also did not understand that. It might have been that a doctor had seen me. But the thing is, with psych wards, things happen in slow motion. So if you see a doctor once a day or something like that, you're pretty lucky. Hmm, interesting and when you are in the like in a psychotic break like mid psychotic break like that uh, does your grasp of like time and space and things like that go away a little bit or do you still have a grip on that uh when you're in the midst of a psychotic break time passes as normally but it depended upon the uh how how bad the break was going um at one point i my mind was racing so fast, I was scared. I was extremely scared. So I asked for somebody, something or somebody to calm me down. They gave me a pill. I didn't know what it was at the time. It's called Ativan. It's a hi- highly addictive but useful, I believe, benzodiazepine, which actually helped me just deal with reality a little bit better at that point. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about your that first... Um stretch of time like your first stent in the psychiatric ward of that hospital because after you got checked in it's not like they saw you for a few hours and they're like all right you can go now 
like that ended up then becoming your home for a while. Yeah, so they kept me ultimately in uh, Stony Brook University Hospital for about a month and a half. I really needed it. I was lucky to stay in there that long. Um, yeah, it was my home for a month and a half. I basically stayed there, ate there, did everything there. Uh, people would visit me, but I was not really allowed out of the hospital until they thought I wouldn't run. Uh, I ran a few times. I made a few code M's or code manpower on the ward. Um, I didn't attack anybody, but I was pretty scary. So they took care of me, you know, it was, sometimes they were kind of rough, but you know, when somebody's acting psychotic, they're six foot two, 195 pounds, it's kind of hard to be, you know, hundred percent gentle, right? Yeah, for sure. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, during this entire time period, for the most part, it, it, the way it's written in your book, it's not like they give you the pills and within five minutes you're like not afraid of things anymore like you keep on having these paranoid thoughts and these like afraid thoughts of various things throughout your entire stint there right yeah so it turns out that antipsychotics if you're lucky they start working within weeks so those the, the antipsychotic action works on the dopamine neurotransmitters at least the old ones do the one that i use mostly called navine or thiotexine which incidentally is probably one of the best medications to this date for paranoid schizophrenia, mm. even though it came out in 1968. Um, because I've been on other ones such as Seroquel and Abilify, which just stopped really working for me. Yeah, even though they're old, they're they're newer medications and all that. So yeah. the antipsychotic action takes weeks to actually get the full effect, if not months. And the entire time that you were there. Yeah, like for for about the the month of being there, you were kind of convinced that the employees of the hospital were like working for the devil or something along those lines. No, not something along those lines. <laughs> I thought I was trapped with a bunch of devil worshippers that were going to kill me. Yeah, and God, uh, that's no, just it's terrible. It's scary. Yeah. So and what, I was convinced. Yeah. I guess what key I can't imagine. So one of the things that I kept wondering is: so you have your family visiting you periodically. Um, like your mom, your brother, when they visit you, are you telling these things to them? Like, are are you asking them? So, because when Mm -hmm. you're the the doctors meet with you like daily or every other day or whatever it is to ask you what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And because of the fact that you're paranoid, you're not going to tell them, Hey, I think you're a devil worshiper. You were trying to like keep that close to the vest because you're like, if I say something, they might just murder me right now or something. So I got to like be cool about this. So you're not really like telling them what your actual thoughts are which is obviously dangerous and then but i would imagine that at least when your family comes are you asking them questions like guys why am i still in here what the hell's like can you get me out of here because there's these people are devil worshipers i need you to help me out yeah but then the problem becomes if i said to my family look these guys are devil worshipers i need you to get me out of here then i'd put them in trouble because they're within the realm of the devil worshipers as well putting myself in trouble and we're locked in a ward so it just becomes, you know, problem upon problem. So if I say something along those lines, what, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to me? Wow. Crazy. You see, it's, that's how deep the, the insanity goes. Yeah. So at what point are you able to, it, like we discussed earlier, your first time being able to have insight on your own condition. And it was obviously during not during this first month. It was later on. Um, and when you, you know, st- had this, this weird thing with the rain, um, this was obviously not while you were inside the hospital. So 
Uh, what was it after about a month in the hospital for that first stint that allowed you to be released? When you were released, were you still convinced that the people were devil worshippers, or had that sort of subsided at that point? Um, so what allowed me to be able to be released to go on that walk in the rain, uh, with my lady at the time, um, was, you know, I was doing a lot of jobs around the ward, like cleaning up. I was doing just a lot of jobs and they, they let me, they gave me more and more responsibility until one time this guy incidentally named Dr. Pass. I don't know if you know anything about allegorical tales, but you know, you, <laughs> Dr. Pass is like, if you want to pass, go to Dr. Pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so he, um, he was like, at one point, well, you're doing more than 80% of the jobs on the unit. You should probably let other people do some jobs. You, you, you're doing great jobs, too. I'm like, thank you. But uh, that's what let me got out, get out because they, they could see I was reliable. I didn't, you know, fight anybody really at that point at all. So it's like and, prison. You get out for good behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I mean, not only that, but like the, the, the groups that you go to also, um, when they, when you go to groups and participate, they see how you act, how you react. And even if you are not all there, they'll, you know, you get kind of points to get out. Now, when you're in these groups, were you sort of acting and like making up answers and stuff, or were you being candid with them? I tried to be candid. Yeah. And, uh, the thing is, I, I never said, you know, what's up with you devil worshippers? Get me the hell out of here. I'll kill all of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that. You yeah. Know? And, uh, but uh, what I could say was, I mean, actually, it was kind of odd. Like the, the fifth or sixth week I was in there, I was in a group, I remember. And the, 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 the occupational therapist was like, look, you know, if you ever have, you know, horrible thoughts you know, about hurting yourself or others or anything like that, do you think you'd be coming back to the hospital if you need more help? So I surprised myself by by saying yes, I would. Wow, and I was honest. Man, that's great. Yeah. So it, it, it's almost like there's two sides to you. It's like one side of you believes these people are devil worshippers. The other side of you does understand that it's a hospital and does understand that right. that it's quote unquote safe or something. Well, at the end, yeah, especially yeah, and it becomes more and more that way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Talk about your relationship a little bit, um, because I think that's something that would interest a lot of people that have um, people with any sort of uh, mental disorder in their own lives um, or potentially ends up having someone uh, with a mental disorder. So you (laughs) had a had a girlfriend um, who you refer to as love in the book and you were dating her since you were 16 years old. So you guys had already been together for a long time. She was like the love of your life. And she, you guys stayed together during this entire event, like much later on, you guys broke up, but you guys stayed together during all of this. What, I guess, like, what was that like? What sorts of conversations did you have with her? How did the relationship survive and and thrive during that time? Well, she would always come to the hospital to uh, sing to me. She was a Chinese girl and she was quite beautiful and she actually was an actress in China for a while. And then she was studying applied math up to the master's level at uh, the university. So uh, she's a very smart girl, very, and she would sing to me beautiful songs and she'd cook for me. And you know, she's really a, a comfort to me. And I never really thought of myself as less than or anything like that around her. And she still loved me despite everything. Yeah. I think. 
So when she would come around, would you be able to, um, it, would it almost like snap you out of things a little bit? Like, uh, like, I guess, would you be holding normal conversations with her when she was around? Oh, sure. Except with the, the, the caveat that I didn't want to get her in trouble with the devil worshipers or anything like that. And the caveat just to protect her against everything I could possibly protect her against. And that's it. Yeah. I, I loved her very much at the time. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. with the amount of meds that you were getting at that time, um, yeah. to what extent were you able to like be yourself and have your own thoughts and uh, and stuff like? Actually, let me. Well, before you answer this question, let me read another quote from sure. the book here, really quick, um, regarding the medication. So it says uh, they raised me to forty milligrams of Navane there. On 10 milligrams, I felt like a zombie, and even more so on 40. It was as if a veil of darkness were permanently in front of my eyes everywhere I went. Even sunny days were shrouded in darkness. The eternal night would last for many years. So this is after uh, like an- another break that you had and a bad event that, you- that that quote comes up of needing to up your, uh, your dosage. Um, mm-hmm. But during that first stint, and, and again, especially like when you're when you're trying to when people are coming to see you, when you're trying to connect with your family and connect with your girlfriend and stuff, to what extent are you able to? That's a good question. Everybody who was in my life who loved me continued to love me, um, and I connected pretty well. I think in general, um, the, otherwise they wouldn't keep coming back, right? Yeah, good point. Um, I, my thing was I was more paranoid than anything else, so I was just trying to make sure they were safe. Um, also, but the thing is the first time my brother leaf came to visit me in the ward, he told me, I mean, I did quote that poetry at the beginning. I was into poetry at the time a lot. I've, I even wrote a book about poet of poetry, my own poetry called the poet of Washington Heights, which Mm. is a lot of fun, Mm. but, um, it's done pretty well. But the thing is, he said, when you're talking, Will, it sounds like you're reciting poetry to me. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Look, so the thing is, I want to say that schizophrenia is not a death sentence. I've had a really long, prosperous life in a lot of ways. I'm 44 now. I've gotten a master's degree from a competitive program. I've gotten a bachelor's from a very competitive university. I was the top applied math student in my university. Uh, Stony Brook, which is number four in the United States, probably top 10 in the world. Um, What else? I've written 63 books. Uh, you know, for example, you know, uh, a schizophrenic will, a story of madness, a story of hope. I wrote that because I wanted to give other people the idea that basically, yeah, all right, maybe you have schizophrenia or somebody you, you love has schizophrenia, but it's not a death sentence. You can have a normal life. Half of the book was like negative stuff that happened to me. Half the book was the story of recovery. Oh, it for ended sure. With me, you know, I mean, it ended with me as a respected professional at New York State Psychiatric Institution helping other people in my shoes, you know, just with knowledge and all this other stuff. And, I, you know, it was good. Uh, 63 books, also Guided Natural Mental Health, a whole lot of really great books. And um, what else? So I'm trying to think. There's also, you know, the Medical Librarian's Guide to Better Sleep, Natural Weight Loss and Diabetes Control, a historical reader of the New York Times of Madness from 1851 1922. This is one of my favorites also, especially for the children. Guide to Natural Intelligence Enhancement, the Medical Librarian's Annotated Guide. Of course, I wrote A is for Anger, How to Cope, the Medical Librarian's Annotated Guide. <laughs> and then, one, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, um, another one, it's a little bit like more adult, I guess, but it's also useful for guys about my age. 
The Medical Librarian's Guide to Better Sex and Health for Men Over 40. Wrote that for myself. Very helpful. Nice, dude. And a whole bunch of stuff. You know, poetry, the poet of Washington Heights. Eros, Amar, and Romantic Love. 150 quotations in Latin, Spanish, and English. The English Virtual Library, which is one reviewer said, Al Google's Google. Bunch of books in Spanish, Portuguese, and French. So I've been very prolific that way. And I may be going back to Columbia Psychiatry very soon as a chief. Damn, that's incredible. So, I mean, I've had a very, and right now I have a beautiful woman on my arm who I love so much. I'm blessed. I love my family. You know, the world's not perfect, but I love everybody. That's wonderful. You know what I'm saying? So let's talk about some of the things that help you get there and stay there. So first of all, to what extent do you feel like having, like now you take three different medications and very specific amounts of those three medications. To what extent do you feel like that? is allowing you to be who you are right now all right so let me talk about anti-psychiatry i don't know if you've heard of the movement the anti-psychiatry movement i read a little bit about it actually thanks to you like in this other article in your book yeah crazy. so it is great well it's not that well literally yeah right (laughs) so the thing is um anti-psychiatry it's a whole bunch of people that think medication is for the birds basically there's no scientific proof to uh you know the diagnoses or anything like that yeah i mean in the past you couldn't prove if you looked at a brain that there was schizophrenia evident no test you could take objectively but the diagnostic methods worked uh and even in the beginning i i realized the medication was helping me a lot so i am not an anti-psychiatrist kind of guy if anything i'm the opposite one of my central tenets to my life is find the right medicine find the right therapy, find the right support network, be positive, get on with your life. So, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I, so we'll talk about group therapy in a second. And I have a quote from your book about, about group therapy that I really enjoyed. Um, but in terms of one-on-one therapy and Mm -hmm. almost more importantly, even just thinking about your condition yourself, when, Mm -hmm you are in a good headspace. I feel like this has got to be a very difficult thing for someone with paranoid schizophrenia because um, if let's say you want to lose weight, what you should do is is think about the things that you need to do to solve that. You know, So therefore, you almost have to think about the fact that you're overweight. Think about the ways to... You're thinking about your weight in order to yeah. lose weight. Um, yeah. You think about the problem in order to get a solution to a problem. So mm-hmm. When you have paranoid schizophrenia, I would imagine trying to think about uh, is is the rain really in on the conspiracy? Is is it even normal that there is a conspiracy happening against me? Like it, 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 like thinking about conspiracies and things like that. I would imagine even when you're in a good headspace would start to bring mm-hmm. you towards a bad headspace, which makes True. it difficult to cure i would feel or or like get rid of those thoughts because it's almost like you need to not think about them um in order to help out are you when you're in a good headspace are you able to think about those things or do you need to just try to not think about it at all well i think they're conspiracies and they're conspiracies in real life however i try not to think about any kind of conspiracy ever if i can avoid it (laughs) right you know what i'm saying so you know i just don't think about conspiracies if I can avoid it, because it does put me in a bad headspace, as you say. Yeah. So if, if you were a therapist 
it, or if a therapist was, let's say, speaking to you, would that be sort of a poor practice for the therapist to say, uh, so Will, like, tell me about, uh, like, what is it you're so like afraid of? Why are you afraid of that? Is it like the therapist should not even want to address those things because you don't, they don't want to get you to bring up the things mm-hmm. that you're afraid of? So there's a concept that I like to re- re- refer refer to called resilience. So, you know, if you can't talk about what's going on in your own head to a professional who's there to actually help you, then that's a problem with you. And most people with like psychosis or depression, they have to talk about what's going on with them. That's part of the healing process or the talking cure. So um, I never really had a problem talking about my, my things, with my issues with my medical team. And actually, very early, I became very, it was a policy of honesty, almost complete and total honesty, um, maybe too honest to some extent, because I really wanted them to know where I was, because they, in some ways, are more important than my own family for my mental health, you know, because yeah. they're, they're my team. Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about about the disease itself uh clinically speaking and not like your subjective experience with it so um Mm. so schizophrenia typically hits people from their teens up to about like their early 30s or so um in is schizophrenia like latent in someone until something makes it come out and will something always make it come out or theoretically could could that event Let's say that day, um, you went to the the student union. The woman tells you that, "Hey, congratulations! You've you've been approved." I, I imagine this is something that you think about. Like, what if that woman had said that instead? In, in your mind, is it like something eventually will always make it come out in someone, or you could live like a, a blessed enough life that that you could theoretically make it through and and never have a psychotic break? All right, so I know a lot about the neurobiology of schizophrenia. And this start at the end, at the beginning, as strange as it seems, I've never thought about changing my life in any way, in that way. As you say, like, you know, what if she had said, oh, you have your financial aid. I never thought about that. That would have been a blessed day. Um, anyway, so schizophrenia is caused, according to the people at Cold Spring Harbor, laboratories by micro additions and micro deletions of dna on various chromosomes and various genes so what that means is that's why they have not found one gene for schizophrenia that's why they've not found one gene for mental illness it doesn't exist Hmm. there are various loci loci however you say it of genes that are changed and different genes are changed more by the micro additions deletions however in some Someday, maybe they'll be able to cure the psychosis, but using antisense therapy or genetic therapy to cure individuals with their individual genetic problems. But that's really what it would take uh, for an actual cure. Wow, that's interesting. Because that was something I wanted to yeah. discuss with you later was the possible sort of medical future and, and possible yeah. cure. Is something that I was thinking of as I figured if it was something on the more genetic front. Uh, I'm sure like you are, like I said earlier, an incredibly intelligent guy and you have your master's in library sciences and you read a lot and you know a lot about everything. I assume you know about epigenetics. 
like of course i was thinking i was gonna get into that too okay but, uh, yeah i was thinking yeah. like it, okay if, if we if it's this genetic component then we can look at what are the epigenetic markers that are turning on these switches that like that f- the switch that flips that turns on that all of a sudden the person goes from not being schizophrenic to being schizophrenic could we uh do something to prevent that switch from ever getting flipped epigenetically um mm-hmm. but if i guess like you said there's these micro deletions in the dna then that's not you're not really going to solve that epigenetically. I guess that's a point uh, for sure. So, do you mind if I get into the epigenetics and all that? Please, the, I would love you to. Yeah, awesome. I'm not going to probably tell you anything you don't know already, but uh, so basically, schizophrenia is genetically passed down, but it's also epigenetically passed down, right? How does that? What? Why is that? Why do I say that? So, say somebody has the genes for schizophrenia, right? They only so say somebody has the perfect genes for schizophrenia, they'll only have a fifty percent chance of becoming somebody with schizophrenia in this life uh, with those genes due to the epigenome, right? Why? So because somebody, the twin studies have shown when one twin has uh, schizophrenia, the other twin only has a fifty percent chance of developing schizophrenia. They have the exact same genetic code. The only thing that is different between these two twins would be the epigenome and yeah environmental factors something exactly happening to them right exactly so that so then there is possibly <laughs> maybe there is an epigenetic component that i guess so then possibly we is. could we could yeah. look at what is causing this epigenetic switch to to turn on or turn off or whatever it is and mm-hmm. and do something ahead of time so maybe if you are yeah. I mean, I guess this gets into a very utopian future for any sort of uh, disease, no matter what it is. But you could look at someone's entire genome and their entire epigenome and be like, oh, look, they have all the genetic predispositions to, let's say, um, diabetes and schizophrenia and this. We're going to go ahead and tell them to uh, eat two bananas every day and uh, never run over a speed of two miles per hour and... None of those epigenetic switches will ever go off. Or, you know, some like very weird thing of like ways that you need to live to never make these uh, epigenetic cues take place. Well, I'd love to talk about that for a second. Uh, in my guide to natural mental health, which I'm currently putting into the fourth edition, um, I deal exactly with that uh, exact uh, exact point about schizophrenia. So, if somebody takes fish oil, about maybe three or four pills of omega-3 fish oil per day, not flaxseed oil, something like that, even if they're in the prodrome or the first stage of psychosis, they can prevent fully blown schizophrenia by taking these simple pills of fish oil in a large amount of time, large amount of times. So it's not a weird thing. It's not difficult. And I want the world to know about this. This is one of the reasons I'm going to guide the natural mental health fourth edition, because I have a lot of really great information in there that I want to share with the world. And thank you so much for bringing this up. So let's talk more about this stuff for a little bit, because uh, I am, I love talking about diet, lifestyle, things like that. And, um, so I would love to know about, uh, and I am definitely going to read that book now after this, uh, I would love to know about some of the sort of general mental health guidelines i guess that you have in that book in terms of things that Mm -hmm. you 
have found in research to really help with mental health. Um, like I have, uh, I like to experiment with different supplements. I like to experiment with my diet, um, with my exercise regimen, this and that, and try different things to see how they impact usually my mind more than my body. Um, I guess my body, the main thing I would care about is just overall energy level or something like that. But I mean, you get phenomenal changes in your physiology from different supplementation, like natural supplementation, um, like, you know, herbs, uh, like things like turmeric, whatever. And, uh, like you said, like fish oil, EPA, DHA, and then, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, uh, like diet. So I have done a ketogenic diet for a while where you become uh, ketone adapted, like just burning fat as opposed to eating really any carbs. Um, sure. I've done paleo, which was very close along the lines of like keto, I guess. And both eating paleo and keto, I would say, unfortunately, it's very difficult. So I have like, I'm not that way right now. But whenever I am eating that way, I feel unbelievably calm compared to how I usually feel. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of that has to do with blood sugar spikes and things like that, but mm-hmm. I, I just have such a, a good level of focus and calm. So I, I, it makes me think of like, if you're talking then about, uh, people with mental health problems that maybe something like that would help out because again, uh, you're, you just have like an overall higher sense of calm. Uh, what are the things that you found in your research really help people with mental health disorders? Awesome. Thank you for the question. I'll, I'll go into this. So the, the full title of the book is actually Guide to Natural Mental Health, Anxiety, Bipolar, Depression, Schizophrenia, and Digital Addiction, Nutrition, and Complementary Therapies. So the thing is, I'll go in a little bit into the schizophrenia part, the other things are really outside the domain at this point of our discussion, I feel. So um, first of all, it's complementary therapy in general. Um, fish oil can prevent schizophrenia from fully blowing up and messing up your life to an extent. doesn't always happen. Nothing in medicine is 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a, a paradoxical reaction to an antipsychotic. So, but fish oil, I would tell everybody in the United States and in the world, take fish oil, whether you have schizophrenia or not, because it's good for so many things. So that's the first tip I would give. Mm-hmm. The second tip, my, my eight-year-old niece has insomnia. So that's why I wrote the book for her called The Medical Librarian's Guide to Better Sleep. It's dedicated to her because it, it shouldn't be in a world where um, eight-year-olds you know, can't sleep. I mean, I've never heard of something like that. That's crazy. Yeah. So, And that's where the digital addiction comes in. Like video gaming, porn addiction, shopping addiction, all these things. Or just being in front of Facebook you know, too much, Facebook addiction. You know, social media addiction. It's well, being really in front of something that's just firing off your dopamine so much right before you're supposed yeah. to go to bed. It's like, when, no, is, you, when right. is your body supposed to start making melatonin? I mean, obviously, the light itself is going to kind of prevent your body from making melatonin. But especially if right. you're getting like jacked up and excited about something. It's true. I mean, you're right. I mean, when you talk about the light of the screen, it's basically a reverse light box. People use, for people who don't know this out there, something called seasonal affective disorder where um, people who feel blue in the winter due to the low light, they sit in front of a very bright light in the morning, and they feel better all day because it helps their circadian rhythm. Well, I have one of these lights, the- dude. I have one. Awesome. <laughs> I, awesome. don't, uh, I don't do it like in the wintertime because I live in the Southwest, mm-hmm. but whenever right. I... Um, oh. 
I want to like wake up earlier in the morning. Like, let's say I decide to myself, I want to start waking up at five thirty or something. It's a very hard transition for the body to all of a sudden start waking up an hour earlier. But if sure. you sit in front of one of those crazy bright lights at the exact same time every morning, right yeah. when you wake up, oh. within about like a week or so, even during the winter time when it's pitch black at that time, within about a yeah. week, you immediately start waking up that exact same time every day. Yeah, um, yeah, light is the it's real awesome. deal. It synchronizes the it synchronizes. Yeah, the chronotherapeutics is huge. I I completely agree with you, my friend. Yeah. Um, and the thing is with chronotherapeutics and light boxes and all that, like you can take melatonin to help you sleep a little bit, a little light in the morning. If, 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 if somebody has depression, oh, this is all I'm going to say about depression. Basically, if somebody has depression, a light box can help sometimes, even if it's not seasonally effective, right? So light is healing and it happens faster sometimes than the pills. But once again, this is complementary and alternative, alternative medicine. You, if you need medical attention and you're in an emergency situation, do not think, oh, I just need light. No. Be strong. Be smart. Get into a, um emergency room. Take yeah, care of yourself. Definitely. All right, Will, let's go ahead and start to wind this thing down. And uh, and like you said earlier, things aren't all bad. Let's try to like keep on a more positive note and everything. So I would love to know what are some of the more valuable lessons that you feel like you learned throughout the course of your life because of schizophrenia like lessons that you might not have learned had you not been diagnosed with schizophrenia okay so one of the most important lessons in life that i've learned from schizophrenia is to be patient and to be loving in general with the people that you meet because you don't know what struggles other people are going through and so you know it's good to be compassionate even if their actions don't really make sense if you're able to um, I've learned to be tolerant of other, you know, and even loving of other cultures and other, um, just, well, I mean, love actually is what keeps me going. And I met, I want to tell you, I'm very happy to say a, um, girl who speaks Spanish. And because of her, I actually wrote a book called Eros, Amar and Romantic Love. And one of the quotes, it's a book of quotations. One of the quotes that I have in the book actually i kind of picked out for her and i'd just like to maybe end with that yeah it's, let's hear it awome thank you um el alma que puede hablar con los ojos también puede pasar con la mirada which also which kind of means uh the soul that can speak with the eyes can also kiss with just the look and it's by gustavo adolfo becker he, he was born in 1836 he's a spanish poet it's my favorite it's my favorite saying of all time That's beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. man. I, I want to say that reading your uh, uh, your autobiography, A Schizophrenic Will, I got that exact... How you were saying that, that one of the biggest lessons you had is just like love and compassion for people and being nice to people because you don't know where they're at. That, that was right. such a huge takeaway for me from your book because all I was thinking the whole time I was reading like the negative times that you were going through is yeah. if if let's say you say something weird to someone, especially when you were... I was thinking about this when you were like uh filled with with rage and uh and i think it was like you're you told your stepfather like we need to get back to the city like i'm i'm gonna like freak out and he's like no chill out it's no right. big deal and it just it makes you think about the way that you talk to people or the you know yeah. or it, it, it just made me think so much about that through the whole book of like if you were to say something quote unquote crazy or someone would say something quote unquote crazy and you just go and make fun of them it's like for all you know they're having a real real problem right now Um, it might not be the best thing to just make fun of them because they said something crazy, you know? Um, no. So, yeah, yeah. I, that was a huge yeah. takeaway for me as well from your book. So thank you for that. Um, Blake, 
thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me a little bit today yeah i really had a great time with the interview and uh you know thank you yeah absolutely man thank you Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, Just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys